1891, a British man who was one of the first pioneers and mayor of Enneheim, named Thomas Nicholas Leslie, recorded of an old man named Wildebeest who lived on the sandstone banks of the Clip River, about a kilometer from where it joins with the Vol River. Legend had it that Wildebeest was orphaned when his mother fled from the impis of Nzilikas, who passed through what is now known as the Vol area, and retreat from the hostile forces of Chaka, to one of the caves for which the Chatzrand on the West Rand is famous. During that time, the track boos were moving through the area, and they found the orphan child. He was adopted, and as a young man, he became the trusted armor-bearer of a young Paul Creer, and they traveled together on many expeditions, which included clashes with the British, Bourges, and African tribes. Wildebeest was a lively old man by the time Thomas Leslie met him, and he told him about how the whole area swarmed with game of every kind, lions, yellant, wildebeest, blessbok, and springbok. Wildebeest was, without a doubt, the first permanent resident in historic times in the area we know today as Vienna. Hi, welcome to the very first episode of A Yearning for Change, a people-centered podcast series that is covering the local government elections in the Vol. And I am your host, Lerato Mujere. On this episode, we'll be exploring our subject, the Vol, more specifically, its history. The Vol Triangle, or the Vol for short, is a region situated in the south of Gauteng on the banks of the Vol River. The Vol was essentially founded on the discovery of coal and soon after industry and farming became the main economic propellers of this region. Historically, the Vol holds significance as the Second Anglo-Boer War or the South African War Peace Treaty was argued and agreed upon in Vereniging and quite pivotal events took place during the apartheid struggle that led to this region being dubbed the cradle of human rights. The history of this place is rich and to not do a disservice to it I decided to find people who are well versed in the subject to give us a clearer picture. So this episode will have two parts. Part one will feature how Vereniging was founded and what happened here during the Second Anglo-Boer War and how that impacted the trajectory of this place and the country pre-apartheid. Part two will feature the roots of activism in the Vol and how activism helped shape the trajectory of this country and the Vol post-apartheid. The objective here is to lay the foundation in helping to understand and fully appreciate where we stand in this present moment and also to encourage conversation on the way forward amongst the youth of the Vol. 
This episode will feature the voice of Janine Feldman. She so graciously gave life to the work of her father, Mr. Saro Feldman, that he has been doing for the past 10 plus years in uncovering the history of Ferina Khenga. I would just like to thank them for uh, giving their time to a stranger that they are still yet to meet. And with that said, we can dive straight into the episode. Um, so Janine, we'd like to find out um, who, um, okay, how was Vereniging established and who um, founded the place really? In order to look at the history of Vereniging, we need to go right back to the beginning of the Great Trek. Up until the end of the 1700s, the Cape was run by the Dutch government. But in the beginning of the 1800s, the Cape was seized by Britain and it changed the environment to such a degree that in the 1830s, about 12,000 people, mainly nomadic farmers or bourge, as they were called in Dutch, decided to move away from the Cape Colony to explore the more northern areas of southern Africa. The voertrekkers, or pathfinders in English, or also called the Boerer, started moving into the interior of South Africa, and thus the Orange Free State, the Republic of Natalia, and Transvaal were formed. These Boers hoped to use Durban as their own harbour to trade with Europe, because they did not want to trade with Britain. Some of the Boers moved in other directions, and in 1838, Potchefstroom was the first town north of the Vol River, and it became the capital of Transvaal. This caused many people to travel between Potchefstroom and Natal, and they needed to cross the Vol River in order to do so. In dry seasons, when the river was low, it was safe to cross at places, but it would be a dangerous part of their journey if the river was in full flow. In 1857, a man named Hans Fulhun announced that he has a ferry on the farm Witkop that will transport people, wagons, horses, large and small stock across the river for a reasonable fee. The farm belonged to his father, Stephanus Fulhun. This was where Fulhun's drift came into being. Now, in 1866, the first diamonds were discovered in Kimberley. At that time, Kimberley was part of the Orange Free State, but the British Cecil John Rhodes used political manoeuvres to claim that the land and the diamonds was part of the Cape Colony. The main diamond rush started in 1871, and Kimberley soon developed into the second largest town in southern Africa, after Cape Town. This meant that many people travelled from Cape Town to Kimberley, from Durban and the other areas to Potchefstroom, and in between at that time. And they also had to cross the Vol River to do so. In 1876, President Brandt of the Orange Free State employed George William Stowe, a geologist, to begin a survey of the Orange Free State as there were reports of diamonds gold, and other minerals to be found along the Vol River. Stowe found no diamonds or gold, 
but he did find a vast coal field in the northern Free State and the southern Transvaal. In 1878, George Stowe and his team sank a shaft through 15 feet of solid coal at Tybosh which today is the area opposite Funabal Park. They also found abundant coal at Makofle and on the banks of Lewisbrate, where Sasselberg is situated today. At some point after this, the survey into the coal fields in the Val area was discontinued when George Stowe received orders from the Volksrat to go to Bethlehem to look for precious stones and minerals there. However, a prosperous diamond magnate from Kimberley, Samuel Marks from the firm Lewis and Marks, had heard about the discovery of coal made by George Stowe, and he arranged to meet Stowe to discuss the possibility of transporting coal to Kimberley. They needed the coal since the diamond mines needed fuel, and at that time they had already stripped the felt in an 80-kilometer radius around Kimberley of all the available thorn bush. This meeting between Marks and Stowe resulted in the formation of a company in 1880 named De Zuid in Urania Freistadsche Kolen in Mineralen Main Vereniging. The South African and Orange Free State Coal and Mineral Mining Association with the aim of exploiting Stowe's find. Originally, the two men proposed to have the coal transported to Kimberley by using the river, and Marx instructed Stowe to purchase all the farms on which they could possibly find coal. What does the word Vereniging mean, and is it in any way tied to how the town was established? By 1882, the mining company applied to the Transvaal government for permission to lay out a village on the farms Leukale and Kliplotdrift. On 4 July 1882, the town plans were approved and the name for the village was chosen, Vereniging. This was the last word of the mining company's name and in Dutch it means society or association. Another meaning of the word Vereniging is union or unification, which is ironically associated with the town for completely different reasons in later years. In 1890, authorization was given to open a telegraph office in the mining village at Vereniging, and an agreement was reached between the Orange Free State and Cape governments to construct a railway between Bloemfontein and Viljoenstrof within the following two years. In 1890, R. W. Bakkenen reported that there was enough clay under the coal seams to support a new industry in the Vienahang area, and the oldest factory in Vienahang was born. Brick and tile, or Veref, was producing fire bricks on a commercial scale in 1894. In 1890, a justice of the peace was appointed, and in 1891, a post office was built. Initially, very few stands were sold in Fienahang because people had become skeptic with the promises being made to them whenever new towns were established. But in 1892, there was a public auction in Johannesburg between the chains, the area which later became the stock exchange, 
on which between 200 and 300 Vienna hung stands were sold. During this time, as was previously mentioned, there were British and Afrikaner strongholds. And a few years after the establishment of Vereniging, there was the Second Anglo-Boer War, or what was later called the South African War. And a whole lot of people were displaced by a policy called the Scotched Earth Policy. And these people ended up in concentration camps. As of all youth, I'll admit to say we don't really get uh, to see clearly marked commemorations of this war um, around town, but it obviously played a great part in creating what we now know as South Africa today. So I asked Mr. Sarrell on this, and so much more was exposed. So Janine, please give a background on the concentration camps that were in Vereniging. Where were they located and what were they truly made for? Because of the discovery of gold in Transvaal, the economy became stronger than that of the Cape Colony. And Cecil John Rhodes saw this as a threat for British commerce in South Africa. Rhodes tried to find a way to take over the Transvaal government and demanded that the British should get voting rights in Transvaal. President Paul Creer knew that if he granted voting rights to the British who had flocked to the gold mines, it would only be a matter of time before he lost his government to the British. This dispute was one of the main reasons for the war between Britain and the two Boer states, namely Transvaal and Orange Free State. The Second Boer War in Afrikaans, the Tweede Vrijheidsoorlog, or the Second Freedom War, also known as the Boer War, the Anglo-Boer War, or the South African War, which was from 11 October 1899 to 31 May 1902, was triggered in effect by the discovery of diamonds and gold in the Boer states. When hostilities broke out and the war started on the 11th of October 1899, the Boer attacks on the British strongholds, mainly along the railway lines in Natal, the Northern Cape and Western Transvaal, were successful, and the war continued for years with Boer guerrilla warfare and the Boers refusing to surrender, until countermeasures, including the scorched earth policy and concentration camps, gave the British victory. The scorched earth policy consisted of the complete destruction of many small towns, all civilian farms and livestock, effectively destroying their food, shelter and livelihoods. Any of the civilian survivors, Boer and African men, women, children and workers, were forced into concentration camps, where many of them died of hunger and disease, especially the children. A peace treaty was signed that ended the Second Anglo-Boer War. In my research, a lot of interesting things happened during this time, even with the treaty itself, especially when coming to the issue of black enfranchisement, which was essentially denied. And then we know what happened in later years. So, this treaty was the beginning of full Afrikaner rule in a unified South Africa. So, let's get into it. 
Janine, please explain the significance of the signing of the peace treaty. On 9 April 1902, with safe passage guaranteed by the British, the Boer leadership met at Klerksdorp, Transvaal. Present were Martinez Stein, the Free State President, and Skalkberger, acting Transvaal President, with the Boer generals Louis Boeta, Jan Smits, Christian de Wet, and Koos de la Rey, and they would discuss the progress of the war and whether negotiations should be opened with the British. On 12 April, a 10-man Boer delegation went to Melrose House in Pretoria, the headquarters of the British Army, and met with General Kitchener, bringing with them a seven-point proposal for a treaty of friendship. Their position was to return to a pre-war status quo for the republics, with certain changes such as a commercial union with the British colonies, votes for the British, equal languages in schools, and an amnesty for all the fighters. Kitchener was astounded, but forwarded the proposal to London, knowing it would not be accepted, but wanted the dialogue between the two parties to continue. Alfred Milner, who was the British High Commissioner and Governor of the Cape, joined the negotiations on 14 April, but he was hostile to the Bush and wanted an unconditional surrender and a free reign in administering the two republics as colonies. The British government rejected the Bush's terms and the delegation asked Kitchener for a series of armistices so that they could return and consult with the commandos as to whether they would negotiate a surrender and its terms. On 15 May, the commandos elected 30 delegates from each pre-war republic, and they met at Vienna. The debate was heated, split between the Transvaalers who wanted an end to the war, as living conditions for the Boer civilians in the Transvaal were becoming desperate, with splits developing in the Boer population there while the free staters wished to continue the war. A compromise was reached and the generals returned to Pretoria on 19 May with a proposal that the republics remain independent, with foreign relations and self-government under British control, ceding control of Swaziland and relinquishing control of the Witwatersrand goldfields. The terms were rejected by Kitchener and Milner, with the two of them disagreeing on the direction of the future, with Kitchener seeking reconciliation and Molnar seeking humiliation. The debate between the Boer generals and the British delegation would continue for days. The British made concessions, which included the Cape rebels only being disenfranchised for five years. The issue of black enfranchisement was settled, when Joseph Chamberlain's argument before the war for black people's political rights to be considered at the end of the war was ignored in the interest of reconciliation. And Smuts was able to include a clause that the argument for black enfranchisement would be decided when self-government was realized for the Transvaal and Free State. As to the contentious issue of British and Boer war debt and promissory notes, Boeta wanted £3 million, while the British offered £1 million. With Molnar angry at the idea, 
of paying for Boer promissory notes. But Kitchener agreed, seeing Boerta's viewpoint, that it would strengthen the latter in negotiating the terms with his delegates. Orange Free State and the Transvaal colonies would first be administered by a British military administration, then by civilians, and then at some point in the future by a self-government. On 27 May 1902, the British cabinet met to discuss the final terms of the treaty. And on 28 May in Pretoria, the Bourges were presented with the terms and given three days to decide what their answer would be, either yes or no. Sixty Boer delegates met in Vienna to debate the terms of the treaty, and a heated debate developed between the Transvaalers and Free Staters, with Boerta and Smuts arguing in favour, while Martinez Stein argued against it. President Stein was ill and resigned as Free State President after the first day of debate, and advised Christian de Witt if the Transvaalers agreed to the treaty, then he should too, as Free State could not continue the war on their own. At around 2 p.m. on 31 May 1902, a vote was called, and 54 delegates voted yes to the terms of the treaty, but six voted no. On the same day, the Boer leaders returned to Kitchener at Melrose House in Pretoria, and the peace treaty was signed. Samuel Marx was the one who suggested that the negotiations for peace took place on the grounds of the central mine, Verif, in Vienerhang, as it was situated between the Orange Free State and the Transvaal. The Treaty of Vienerhang was a peace treaty, signed on 31 May 1902, that ended the Second Boer War between the South African Republic and the Orange Free State on one side, and the United Kingdom on the other. This settlement provided for the end of hostilities and eventual self-government to the Transvaal, or South African Republic, and the Orange Free State as British colonies. The Boer Republics agreed to come under the sovereignty of the British Crown and the British government agreed on various details. Although the peace negotiations took place in Vienna and lasted about two weeks, the actual peace treaty was signed on the evening of the 31st of May 1902 at the British headquarters that was situated at Melrose House in Pretoria. Although the British government initially demanded an unconditional surrender by the Boer forces, the Boers negotiated terms to suit their cause in the two Boer republics. This settlement entailed the end of hostilities and the surrender of all Boer forces and their arms to the British, with the promise of eventual self-government to the Transvaal or South African Republic and the Orange Free State as colonies of the British Empire. The Boer republics agreed to come under the sovereignty of the British Crown and the British government agreed on various details, including the following. 1. All Boer fighters of both republics had to give themselves up. 2. All combatants would be disarmed. 3. Everyone had to swear allegiance to the Crown. 4. No death penalties would be dealt out. 5. A general amnesty would apply.
6. The use of Dutch would be allowed in the schools and law courts. 7. To eventually give the Transvaal and the Orange Free State self-government, civil government was granted in 1906 and 1907, respectively. 8. To avoid discussing the native or black enfranchisement issue until self-government had been given. 9. To pay the Bush three million pounds in reconstruction aid. 10. Property rights of Bush would be respected. 11. No land taxes would be introduced. And 12. Registered private guns would be allowed. Subsequent to the British government giving the Bood colonies self-government, the Union of South Africa was created on 31 May 1910. The Union gained relative independence under the 1926 Imperial Conference and the 1931 Statute of Westminster. The country became a republic in 1961, therefore severing all connections with Great Britain. Industry and agriculture were the main economic propellers that allowed Fafirenaching to be established. However, the main reason why this history is so important to include in this podcast that is about elections is the signing of the peace treaty, which clearly points out that politically, black people had no access to participating in the politics of the day. It is highly imperative that as young people, we begin to take part in our political freedom as it was fought so hard for and people actually died just for their right to mock X on their desired political party. In the Waiting for Episode 2, please join the conversation on social media by following at Yearning for Change on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. You can also follow my personal account on Twitter at black underscore mujere. Mujere spelled as M-O-K-H-E-R-E. Please stay home, stay safe, get vexed, and know that your vote matters.